Welcome to the Style Forum Happy Hour. We are taping live from Pity Womo today. I'm Peter Zotolo, also known as Urban Composition on Style Forum. Today's topic is vintage clothes, and we have some very special guests who bring you their unique experience to this discussion. Why don't you guys introduce yourselves? I'm Ethan Newton uh, from Brasslands in Tokyo. Um, Tony Sylvester um, and uh, from Timothy Everest in London. I'm Ava Kuehl. I'm the uh, owner and designer of Epaulette. Thanks for coming down to the podcast, guys. Really appreciate you coming and taking the time out. Thanks for having us. One thing I noticed about you guys from ever since I've seen you guys online Mm -hmm. is I love how you use and utilize vintage clothing. And it's something that I've always liked to do. But I particularly enjoy how you guys piece it together or add it to something, an outfit that I, I never would expect it to be seen with. What, what inspires you to do that? Is it just because you like the piece and you throw it on, you don't care how it goes with what you're wearing? I've been buying vintage for a long time. It was kind of my first love in clothing um, in my early teens, buying vintage in Sydney. And I just always kind of feel like it has a permanence to it uh, and a value. Um, I couldn't afford to buy a lot of stuff when I was young and I was very interested in clothing, but it felt like uh, there was a, a value proposition with vintage clothing that uh, it was just made to last. And I like that. Yeah. Yes. Um, similar for me, I think as well. I think before anything else, there was vintage clothing. I was never really into any current clothing really at any point. So like even as a teen, it was like vintage clothing was more important. And not in a kind of like, and at that point it was more about things you could afford to buy. Um, the, the whole uh, culture of like army surplus stores being these really fantastic places to just go and dig around and find out about things. And also the fact that like, especially vintage militaria had such a counterculture resonance as well. So if you were into punk or if you were into like, um, any kind of subculture was always a kind of military influence in the clothing. So it's just like, so that's where you found it was, was vintage. So, and then from then on, I think that the, the sort of the cost thing comes into it all the way through. It's a much more economic way to buy clothing, both in terms of like, you know, saving the planet, you know, and like not buying yourself, but and also just in sense of like money from you, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an easier way to put a wardrobe together. Yeah. Than just than you know, buying new clothes. Was there a was there a point where vintage clothes came alive to you? Was there a moment where you're like, like for me, when I was sixteen, seventeen years old, I was a junior in high school, and there was a point where I did not want to wear anything that anyone else was wearing, mm-hmm. and. I started going to thrift stores. There was a 99 cent thrift store that I would scour practically every day after school and I found some of my favorite clothes there. And and the, the fact that it only cost 99 cents just thrilled me to no end. It was just, I thought that I was walking away with somebody's treasure for just spare change in my pocket. What about you? Was there a moment where you said, thrift store is exciting? Yeah. I think the, the music uh, idea is actually quite pertinent now that I think about it because I was really into grunge. I'm mm. 40, so when I was a teenager, it was the height of grunge, and mm. it was all about 
cut off cargo shorts and flannel shirts and things right. like that. And I think I probably started buying vintage specifically because of Pearl Jam and Alice in Chains and yeah. bands like that. Yeah. Uh, Did you I, ever find an orange mohair cardigan? <laughs> no. That was always the grail <laughs> at that time. From, no, no. From Nirvana. Uh, but you see a lot of those in Tokyo at the moment. Um, oh, okay. A lot of those 60s mohair cardigans. Right, yeah. Uh, I did yeah, find I like them because of Sinatra. Like I like him for that sort of fact. Oh and yeah, the kind, right. The kind of previous life. Yeah, you know, yeah. You know, you'll see Dean Martin in those like um, uh, Lemonade ones, or you know, from, from Austria. And right. Like that. And then it's funny again, and, th- and that's the beauty of vintage is you have one item and then two completely different contexts. So, yeah, that's So right. you could take an item like that and you can dress like Rat Pack Vegas, mm. or you can do the grunge thing. It's the same piece of clothing. That's that's right. and that's that's the the core of why you know vintage is it's it's interpretable in so many in so many different ways is how you put it together right you know so that's a you know that's a that's a, that's a great item you can kind of we could do this for an hour we could say you know okay combat trousers right and then we could go right it's yeah. this and it's this you know you can everything has these two or three different parallel kind of stories with vintage which is what which is why it's so interesting yeah you know? Yeah. Sorry to cut you off. That's right. Oh, yeah. And I think to that point, you know, Vintage has this amazing thrill of the hunt. Yeah, of course. That, you know, you really find from people. On Style Forum, there's a thread. Uh, is it actually called the, 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 I think the it's thrifting called bragging the thread? Thrifting brag, yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I saw that yesterday with you. Uh, Peter had come out and he was wearing this amazing, enormous Navy top coat, which must have weighed like 12 pounds. Yeah, I caught that. And it's an old Jeeves and Hawks 1947 bridge coat that I think it was. I think I got it on eBay for 80 bucks. It was nothing. And the thing is bulletproof. It was made so well. And the fact that it only cost 80 bucks. (laughs) That's that's the amazing story. It's the coolest thing about vintage for me. It's that everything has a tail behind it. Because you wouldn't be saying that if you brought out this enormous code. And you're like, what is that? And you're like, oh, yeah. I got this for $2,800 at Neiman Marcus. I just walked in and buy it and then uh, they put it in a bag and I walked out. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Uh, you know, it's really, it's exciting to get something with a, an amazing backstory. I think that's it. I think that like guys only ever really talk about how much something costs when they got it cheap. Right. <laughs> you know, it's just like, there's not, there's not, and, and I think that's like, that's kind of part of that, you know, the thrift culture and everything else. And, um, and then I didn't experience it until I had a friend who worked in a watch shop and they were like, there's this whole other thing of like bragging with guys where it's the other way around. Mm-hmm. Where someone comes in and buys mm-hmm. like a Rolex that costs whatever. So his friend has to go in and buy the more expensive one. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And I'm like, it's just so funny because it's so far removed from the, yeah. where we all grew up with this kind of like, you only ever say something, yeah, it only cost me blah. You never say, right. you never say, yeah, no, I got it for market value. <laughs> you know, it was like, oh, great story. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. you, you, it's just the idea of you know being competitive with your yeah. competitive with your consumerism. So totally. if you're if you're buying an amazing thrift thing, it means that you you put the work into finding it. Yeah. You have the knowledge to recognize it on a rack and pull out this diamond in the rough. Yeah. You know, or you're just buying a you know like a Paul Newman Daytona because mm. you have one hundred and fifty thousand dollars, whatever that is. Yeah. I think there's a, there's a lot of signaling in clothing, as we know. It's you know I have this watch or I have that suit or I have this car. It's a lot of signaling as in. I'm in, at this status in life, or I fit into this uh, group of people, this little subculture. And the nice thing with vintage is that you can kind of play with that and say, I'm buying something that nobody else has really thought about, nobody else is claiming yeah. and making that into a new genre. Hmm. 
Yeah, and 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 that's the um, and of course there's the other side of it, which is people who, who deliberately want to recreate something very specific. You know what I mean? Like a like a like a very specific era or look or profession or something. And that's not really that's a whole other. We call them time lords. You know, the, the guys, <laughs> the guys who like walk around like they're an 1890s miner or something. You know what I mean? It's just yeah. like it's great and like full power people do it, but that's not you know that's not yeah. really what I'm interested. In. I'm interested yeah. in the way the way things work together. You know what I mean? Rather than being very specific recreations of like, you know, and, and like, like that kind of like almost like very nerdy, like everything has to be correct. Everything has to have the right stitch and the right this. That's not, I like the idea that, you know, you can have a wardrobe which is spans 120, 130 years and still somehow make that look cohesive. Cohesive, exactly. That, right. that, that you can actually put something together that doesn't, that's not jarring, that, that works. Right. You know, with something from the 1910s through to something that you bought, you know. It's very interesting in Tokyo because it has such a sophisticated uh, vintage market. Um, so much, so many customers and so many stores doing such beautiful stuff. But there are a lot of what we would call cosplayers yeah. who are specifically looking to recreate an idea. Um, and then you get the pieces that are popular by season. So it might be this year a Browns Beach vest is $900 and then next year it's going to be 180 because they're out of favour. Hmm. Um, so we spend a lot of time when we go, Kenji and I, when we go vintage shopping, uh, looking at what is undervalued and you know what are the cool pieces that nobody's really playing with yet um, and trying to predict where, where that market's going to go in terms of genre of clothing and what people are trying to cosplay into. Do you have vintage clothes within your shop? A little bit. Um, we always have stuff floating around and most of our clients are friends so they'll be like I'm looking for this piece and I'll go out and try and source it for them um, but uh, it's usually just spice in the store it's a little bit of here's something fun that we found that someone might like peppering the store with a few vintage pieces yeah. that you found pretty often it'll be something that I've seen and I'm like okay I know that's going to suit him. He's going to love that piece. I'll buy it and put it in the store. Um, it sort of it aids people being able to buy our product as well because it's like here's the pea coat that's going to go with the double denims and the watch cap. When I was young, at the time, it was only about getting something different. I wasn't trying to execute any specific look. But as I've gotten older, it's become a little more like what you were saying, Tony. It was oh, I can see this with something that I already have in my closet mm -hmm. that can complement it. Have your tastes been similar in growth or when you were a kid, was it just, oh, I like that old vintage jacket because it reminds me of the Ramones back in the late 70s or was it just adding something that you saw that piqued your interest to what you already had in your closet? For me, it's mostly followed my musical tastes. Mm -hmm. So uh, when I was very young, it was all about grunge, so I wanted all military surplus, a lot of Vietnam surplus as well as World War II. Um, and then as I was working more in tailoring, I was really searching out vintage Savile Row. Uh, and as I'm getting older and sort of listening to more sort of heavy metal and stuff like that, it's about band t-shirts and yeah. leather jackets. Yeah. So it's just every time I deep dive on a new genre of music, I start buying clothes that fit into that world. I think it's more like you're saying, like, I like the idea that, like, 
in the wardrobe as everything together and so that you've been it somehow works. So I like kind of that idea, really. At the moment I've got on a on a big um jag with like old French stuff, like uh Arnie's and and um some of the kind of more like dressing like an old French guy. Yeah. Which is part of the influence from my, my friends in Paris, um Beige, Habillier and Gautier and right. those guys. And I mean this is I'm pretty lucky in the sense of like my with my friendship group is like some of the like most interesting vintage kind of collectors and dealers mm. like this guy next to me and mm. I like Gautier and then friends like uh, Terry Ellis you know who spends his time between Tokyo and London mm. and that so it's, inspiration really comes from just like how they're putting things together as well you know what I mean what they're doing not necessarily to ape but to just the, you, you're aping the process maybe rather than the actual garments themselves you know seeing how all that works you know what else would work in a similar kind of way um, and also I think if you, like you're saying, I'm not, not trying to look like everyone else, I'm trying to find something yourself. You're going to, what's better than finding like something old rather than something that's on offer. And it's, and it's the same. It's just like, if your, your wardrobe is like whatever custom made things that you can afford to have made cross with old unique pieces that, that you find, it's like pretty much guarantee you're not going to run into many people who have the same right. things as you if you do that way. Yeah. You know? And then, and then basics, you know, like white tees and the, you know, gray sweats and everything else, just like the really uniform things, just you know, buy those new and then everything else trying to be a little more individual with. You know? Yeah. It's also, there's an, there's an interesting paradigm in, in clothing that everything repeats and, uh, every you, 20 years or so, every yeah. 20 years or so. And I think it's because culture's repeating, we go through periods of anxiety, uh, periods of great hope and we're dressing according to that like you think about the 20s where it was really extravagant and over the top and uh, you think about the late 60s um, the sort of the British culture but there was a lot of that Tommy Nutter sort of oh, a little right. bit extravagant right. a little bit more sexy yeah um, then then the 80s again this extravagance yeah. of Wall Street tailoring yeah. um, so it's it's interesting to look at where we think cultures are going uh, politically and societally, uh, and sort of dressing in the mood of the times. Um, like I've been wearing a lot of 30s and 40s stuff five years ago. Uh, got a little bit more into the 50s in the last two or three years, and all the stuff I've been buying lately has been 60s and 70s. And it just feels like okay, we're going into that period of society again. That that um, that zeitgeist. Uh, so it, it makes it interesting to be able to pick pieces out and have them as new colors for the canvas. Yeah. Can I ask you guys about your vintage shopping technique? So I think a lot of times when you go into a vintage store, it can be pretty overwhelming if you just see racks upon racks mm. of clothing that's all pressed together. Um, and uh, I can't speak for how it is in Japan and the UK, but a lot of times what's happening in the US now is if you go into a thrift store, um, you see a ton of fast fashion now mm. hanging on the rack. So mm. when I was like in college and I would go to a thrift store, everything was kind of like from the 70s, mm. like Donnie Brasco jackets and like polyester shirts. And mm. now like you just see like one H&M or kind of express mm. item one after another. If you go into a overwhelming thrift situation like that, what do you use to find the good stuff within those batches? <laughs> How do you this sort is, the chaff? Yeah, not to, the chaff from the wheat. This is like, it's 
<laughs> You're buying dead people's clothing. So what really? <laughs> it's, it's true. We That's about this a lot. Well, I, but, but it's like they may not be dead. But but, but <laughs> really, it's just like what are people wear? What yeah. what were people buying who who you know who, who died recently? So the quality of clothing <laughs> that they were that they were buying. <laughs> 50 years ago and therefore were in the stores 20 years ago in these kind of stores was much higher than it yeah. is now. Yeah. You know, and I, and even in being 45 and been doing this since I was a teenager, just that kind of like the, the, the chance coming across the incredible pieces in the thrift environment mm -hmm. for me is rarer and rarer and rarer. And that's yeah. to do with time management as well, because it's just like, I don't have the time to, right. to, go, yeah. to go and like dig, you know, but I think, I think things are turned over more by more people. I think there's obviously, you know, it's much more, popular to do that and then I just think the quality of clothes which is you're saying which is ending up in those situations for yeah. whatever reason is is garbage for the most part because new fast fashion clothes have been garbage for the last 25 years so that's that's the, the sad reflection so I'm kind of I think I'm the I, I have the time and the means to use the next level up so yeah. maybe not like the high-end you know vintage dealers or whatever but the that kind of that somehow that middle ground you know the kind of like semi-curated, semi-picked, mm -hmm. semi-expensive kind of thing. <laughs> you know? yeah. Because, I, I, yeah, I don't have the mind to go in and do that anymore. Mm -hmm. Just to, But I think you, you can spot, you spot fabrics, don't you? You can see from the distance whether something's good quality or not, even if you haven't seen the cut, you can't see the cut of it or you can't see what the actual piece is. You can see that the, that's your first clue. It's like, that looks like good quality fabric. Let's go and see what it is. Oh, something mm -hmm. made. Yeah. Have you ever had to rip something apart and tailor it for you specifically? Maybe it's too big. It's it was for someone who was a giant, and you've had to cut it down to your size. Yeah, all yeah. the time. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely done that. And then repurpose things afterwards, like use them, you know, oh, yeah. use them for something else. You know, like changing its life. I like that, and I also love finding things that have been worked on themselves. I think there's enough, especially military stuff, when you find stuff which someone at the time altered or you know, added to. You know. Yeah. I mean, the oh. best one is that those green uh, N1, the Navy flight jackets everyone wears, loads of them have the crossed out stencil on the back. They have the black right. box yeah. on the back. And that's because they ended up in the prison system. Yeah, after, I never knew that. Is after that the one? Second World War, they yeah. ended up in like one state in California, whatever. They were, they were prison jackets. Oh, okay. So everyone's wearing, so everyone's walking around with their like, you know, doing their like naval cosplay, <laughs> not realizing that they're right. it's like, like an oil concert. jail. Yeah. <laughs> But like so many clothes like that, that in, even in their lifetime before you take on them, have had, had a second, you know, right. journey or second whatever, you know, life, you know. Had a couple go-arounds before it ended up in your hands. Yeah, exactly. Well, for, for me in Japan, because you have kind of two categories of vintage store in Japan. You have thrift stores and vintage stores. And the thrift stores are very popular with the younger, more fashionable crowds because they're selling 80s and 90s stuff, like you're right. seeing. Yeah, same in London. You're seeing cross colors and you know, <laughs> old North Face and stuff yeah. like that yeah. um, from, from the 80s and 90s. You, generally in those stores, it's about finding the one thing that doesn't seem to fit quite right in there. Um, and usually my fabric is a great place to start, but also labels. Um, right, because you grew up during that period, you remember what was... Well, not, not even that. It's just that there is a certain period of time when clothing was made with rayon or silk rayon, silk taffeta labels. And you yeah, can look yeah. at the label and go, wow, well, that's got that's a little a something more to it. Yeah. And then you get to the later period and everything's polyester labels. Right. Um, and you can see they're a little flat, a little shiny. Um, 
So that's an easy way to oh, pick a up a jacket. Tip. Yeah, so you're saying the woven labels on the inside of the clothing. Exactly. Yeah, yeah totally. But um, that's where it gets tricky because you pick up a double RL piece and it's got an old rayon uh, style label in it. And it's like, oh, wow, that's fooling me. Um, but I, so with those thrift stores, you'll occasionally find a diamond in the rough that the people don't know what it is and don't really right. care. And then with the proper vintage stores, and there are some great collectible vintage stores for the collectors of vintage, it's kind of seeing what they have the highest price tags on and what's the coolest thing in there that's displayed on the wall, completely ignoring that and looking at what they've just got a rack of things sitting in the back all jammed together and saying, this is what people aren't appreciating yet and how can we make that cool? That's great. Yeah, there's, there's trends in vintage, particularly in Japan, that don't make a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Um, one of them is buying dead stock vintage denim. Um, because there are so many reproductions that are so good, for me, there's no point to spend $3,000 buying an original dead stock type one denim jacket because I can go and buy one for $500 that will be every bit as good. So if I am buying these more collectible pieces of vintage, whether it's an A2 or a Browns Beach or uh, a Type 1, whatever it happens to be, I'm looking for one that is bottle, which is just beaten up and yeah. you know kicked to shit, and you can see the you can see the life of the previous owner mm. in the garment. What about you? What have you ever stumbled upon anywhere? You're like, ooh, that's got a story <laughs> to it. Yeah, um, well, I try to I try to buy a lot of vintage online, and I'm and I'm actually curious if you guys ever do that. Um, mm. You know, one of my best resources for vintage clothes is a friend named Matt Smith, um, who used to work with me. He runs a little business called Rebels and Rogues, and he um, he goes out and travels the south of the United States uh, with his van and uh, just collects all vintage military stuff, uh, mostly from the Vietnam era. Hmm. And um, I think like having friends who uh, having friends who are in that business and you know can especially with vintage military jackets can kind of tell yeah. where the size proportions are going to work well yeah. and um, speak well to the fit that you want is really valuable because um, then he's going to small towns in the middle of nowhere just hunting this stuff out for incredible prices and even with a modest market for him it's still really reasonable and um do you guys do you guys shop for vintage online at all definitely yeah, yeah. all the time and, it, and it's it's the crapshoot because mm. it's like you you know i'll only i won't spend you know serious money i want to see something and feel it before i'll spend like proper money on something yeah but if something's like cheap and it's just like yeah i'll take a I'll take a punt, I'll take a, I'll take a gamble. And, and, it, and it mostly, you know, pays off. And again, the same thing, people list things badly, don't necessarily know, blah, 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 blah. Or even just like, I'm not looking for the same things other people are looking for. So it's kind of like, you know, so it's kind of easy. Mm. And then the other side of it, like you're saying, is people who know you and know your style. Well, I'll give you an example recently. It's actually the only piece of serious proper vintage I've bought in the last sort of year or so. But I was away, I was out of London and I got, Two or three, I think four people got in touch with me and went on Spitalfields Market. There's the big vintage market in Spitalfields in London where all the dealers go. Four people told me said, Tony, you've got to go down the bay. There's yeah. something. And, and everyone was going to dealer going, these are for Tony. Gonna, he's going to have these. <laughs> and, then, and then they got in touch with me, the dealer, and went, we've got these trousers here, apparently they're for wow. you. But they're um, graduation <laughs> cords. You know, wow. the, the hand-done yeah. cream cords for wow. basically in... Midwest, they would, uh, when you finished high school, you would buy a pair of beige cords and you would write all over them. Everyone would sign them and there'd be football teams, stuff like this. And and, um, recently, um, Bodie, their label, like, Mm -hmm. redid them, and I think Ralph has done it. Anyway, being a big guy, 
wearing clothes that like an 18 year old had never gonna have there was a pair of my size nice. from 1964 wow. and they were box fresh they were worn probably for graduation and put away yeah and um, clean anything written cool. on them? It, just amazing. entirely like they to the cover they've got like a devil's head mm-hmm. you know like just they're incredible wow and they're making a nice idea i'll take them you wow. know and so i bought them without you know just there sight unseen how much were they I'm not telling you that. Okay. Again, because we only talk about the things that are cheap. So I'm not telling you. I, mean, I think we can talk about things that are expensive and unique. Yeah. But that I'm kind not, of justify yeah, yeah. anyway. it. Um, my, my wife might hear this. Uh, <laughs> uh, do you guys have any online resources you could kind of recommend to the listeners of this podcast that they could uh, look I, up and try to use? I mean, everyone knows. I find if prices of things on I think eBay is so weird for vintage because yeah. it's kind of like I think is I think it's I think stuff on there is consistently underpriced and it's basically based on people not necessarily knowing what they what they what they have mm-hmm. uh, and I also find um, I also find Etsy's quite good sometimes if I'm especially if I'm looking for specific American kind of things like yeah. maybe I don't know old um uh, old like button downs or old like butch brother shirts or things like that. I know C is always pretty do you, good. Do you have any tricks for finding stuff which is underpriced? Mis- misspelled. Well, well, I wouldn't tell you, would I? If I had really good ones. <laughs> you, so you, you, you might get thousands of competitors. Misspellings. I've done that before. Misspellings is always the one. Yeah. Just think about how someone might spell something that you know is spelled differently and, then go, and, and that always comes up. I've always found if you go to buy it now listings, like really like maybe nine times out of 10, people will be negotiable on price. Yeah. Uh, not in Japan. <laughs> Japanese sellers on eBay are pretty much uniformly never negotiable on price. But, but that's the same with all that, shopping yeah. in Japan. Like the idea of going on sale to most Japanese people is that they just don't. Anathema. Yeah. But yeah. Most, most places, if yeah. something is 100 bucks and you say, hey, will yeah. you do 88 for it or, you know, whatever, yeah. 85, they'll take it. I think everyone on eBay now doesn't because, and this is a Depop thing as well. Like every, everyone, the price you put up isn't is is never what you're never, expecting to yeah. get. Never what you're going to get or not going to get. Every, everyone you've ever tried something on eBay, you get put something up for sixty pound. Everyone by the end of the day, you've had four people get in touch giving you five pound for it. You know? True. So it's, it's, I've it's, I've also I found on eBay too. Um, you know, most vintage sellers will not offer a return policy, hmm. but usually if they're like a little bit bigger scale and it's not just somebody selling a personal item, yeah. And you ask and you offer to pay for the return, you know, and send it back within a week or something, they'll also extend a return policy if you message them. I've never thought of doing that. Not a bad one. I don't shop online at all. No. Very no. very rarely. I use uh, Yahoo Auctions Japan, mm-hmm. but mostly for buying hi-fi stuff and furniture. Mm-hmm. Uh, interiors but I also I don't buy that much vintage for myself because I'm a big guy and it's just hard to find anything that fits me in Japan Um, and I don't shop online so probably eight of the ten vintage pieces I buy are going to be for somebody else for I buy a lot for my business partner Kenji Um, anytime I see something that's that's epic but it would not neither fit me nor suit me I buy it for him and he he can pull everything off so yeah it's sickening isn't it it is everything looks good on that guy yeah, yeah it's true um, there's a few people in the world like that and kenji's like one of them where it's just like it's insane and then you can't say oh when you get tired of that give it to me because it'll never fit you or it'll look terrible on you and no the only person i can do that with is tony yeah we've definitely we have you we swapped oh all yes the time. <laughs> nice yeah yeah all the time we've what we've swapped like those deck pants you got those, yep. a couple of work jackets i got then, that um the Lee 101, not the 101J, yeah, yeah. the chalk coat in the hickory stripe. Yeah, hickory stripe. Yeah, 101J? Yeah. Or yeah. 91J. 
one of, one one of those two. And then, um, and then also you've had your Ambrosi. Yes, yes. <laughs> so yeah, we've definitely we trade a lot. I think that's. I think in England there was that there was a, a real culture of people trading clothes. Oh really? Yeah, totally. Like going back to again same thing, and then also that one upmanship as well. Those two things are very very English because they come from there was a even with vintage clothes. Yeah, with vintage clothes, but because it because those uh, yeah definitely everyone trades yeah stuff all the time with vintage clothing. A lot of the times, there just aren't enough examples of the pieces in the condition or the styling that you want. Right. So, yeah. if somebody has one and you're like, "That's the most amazing piece I've seen," let me know when you're ready to give it up. And they're mm. like, "Well, actually, you know that jacket you've got, we could mm. probably work mm. something out, yeah. or at least for a year, and then you swap it back." And I have two brothers who are basically exactly the same size as me, so nice. you know, it's, cool. there's always someone to take on the pieces I'm not wearing. Yeah, the pieces that do. Let's say you do buy something. If you're like me, your closet just is never expand is ever expanding, and after a while, you're like, okay, I need to pare down. Mm. Do you resell your vintage, or do you just give it to friends? I just give it away. Yeah, I very rarely sell anything. Uh, I have a specific thrifting question. So yes. I would always be asked by a lot of customers um, who were looking for sport coats. Mm. Um, so they'd be, you know, trying to find a sport coat, especially if they were younger guys, mm. uh, on a budget, um, you know, going to secondhand shops, trying them on. And, and it's really rare to, to find a sport coat or a mm. suit that just fits you straight off a rack at a vintage store. Um, mm. If you guys do ever purchase any of those and then do some tailoring after the fact, um, how do you know when you try on the jacket first that it has the potential to fit after you work on it? What do you know? For me, it's... 23 years of fitting suits so I just kind of can see and I can pick up things and know if it's going to fit me or if it's going to fit Kenji and right. what needs to be done and whether it can be done but it's pretty instinctual now. So what would be like if you were to advise somebody who was shopping their own what would be some like crucial things to look for? I don't want to say uh, collar and chest. You get get the structure of the, the garment right. Mm -hmm. um, I always think of the collar, the, the chest, the shoulders yes. um, as as the structural part of the jacket, that's the that's the support beams in in the house. And then, you know, if it's a little wide in the body or a little uh, a little tight in the body, you know, that's the that's the walls you can knock down and put back up. Mm. But get the structure right. Yeah, shoulders. Right. That's definitely it. put it on. As long as as long as it's there, everything else can kind of you can because even with the collar, you could you know what I mean. It's just like yeah. to me, it's that one, but. But I've never had any luck really with buying sports coats. It's always been like unstructured things that I'll buy, mm. like, you know, outerwear or, you know, trousers and stuff. It's just like I don't think I've ever had any luck with buying right. vintage. Trousers and coats, yeah. vests occasionally, mm -hmm. but uh, sports coats or suit jackets themselves, I find it very difficult to get yeah. anything. Yeah. Because it's it's so specific, you know what I mean? It's just like it is everything, whereas for everything else it's a bit, you know, you know like, I love overcoats to be big. Right. I love those things to be Same. to not fit. You know what I mean? I have the best success with overcoats because yeah. they don't have to be exact. A little yeah. bigger has it gives you a nice silhouette. But sport coats, yeah, I've never had success. You you don't want that to hang on you. You want that to fit you well. Ties. Ties are well, yeah, everything else. You don't have to worry about ties. Plus, you can. This tie I got uh, actually in in Sicily, and uh, it was about five inches wide. In the back, I'll show you my, my <laughs> stitching. That's why I'm in construction, mm. and I'm not in the clothing <laughs> business. It's like, I don't know, one stitch every one inch. 
Um, but those are things. That so you, do, you, that you took in do. the width of your tie. I took in the wow, width of the tie. That's, that's but uh, yeah, that's, all the stitching is on the back side, fortunately. So honestly, I didn't realize you could do that. Oh yeah, I've got oh. uh, I've got skills. Okay, not uh, very well. You can share that with us later. What are things, some things that are making you happy these days? It doesn't have to necessarily be about vintage, but what are some things that are inspiring you? People. It's always just people. Yeah. Um, I'm fortunate just to be surrounded by killer people. And I, I mean, I live a dream life. I, I do exactly what I want to do and get paid for just being me and hanging around with the coolest people in the planet. Yeah. In Florence. So, you know. Yeah. On a sunny day, no less. Yeah, I know. Exactly. Yeah. I, I think it's this trip, this pity has been particularly um, uh, affirming on that front as well. I was talking about this with my wife, who's, who's here as well. This trip, like last night, going out, sometimes it can be a bit like, uh, you know what I mean? Like a, bit, a little bit log ahead, so it just seems to be like it doesn't gel or something, or like, but it's just been very, everyone's been very happy to see everyone else. And it's just been a really good like like spirit and all those kind of events that you go to have been very like good natured and everyone's you know and it's yeah. just I, I don't know i mean that's the pity is really about people for me it's not really about clothes it's about going yeah. to eat and seeing the people who only get to see twice a year from yeah. all over right you know and uh, and you know that's the the kind of interest to me you know i'm here obviously to see what's going on and to kind of report back and yeah. talk about what we could be doing or what you know what's maybe where things are going but the main the main thing is the is the people the relationships how nice is that i mean it could be where you come here for work and the people are just the worst part of it but, yeah but not so yeah and i also think it's kind of like maybe it's coming back a little bit to being a little bit less about the posing and that it got quite big and got quite and i think maybe it's coming back a little bit I think maybe some of those people who were interested in coming to Pity aren't coming anymore. Right. Maybe. And then and it feels maybe a little bit more like um, manageable, you know? I think it's a bit more, at the moment, it's feeling like it's returned to being about the culture yeah. and the product yeah. and, and the shared joy that we have in all this mm, cool right. stuff. Yeah. Whereas for a while, I think it was about how many photos you can get taken of you. Yeah. Um, and that's just not that very, not very cool, so. No, that's very ethereal. It's, it comes and it goes, but, but the people, the relationships that you make, hopefully, last a while. And seeing yeah. each other again yeah. is the best part of coming to pity. What about you? Yeah, yeah I will agree. I'll echo exactly what these guys said. It feels amazing this year. Mm. Um, I think it is going back to its roots a little bit more mm. as a kind of a community of enthusiasts. You know, mm. it was definitely a really big trend piece, and there was a lot of craziness about everyone trying to come to the show and you know maybe just a lot of the people who looked at classic menswear as a trend have just moved on to other things now because um, these parties have been incredible like mm. the, uh, the event for Plaza Uomo was unbelievable the other night the party at Harry's Bar last night was great mm. you do feel a real sense of kinship yeah and you yeah. get to eat a Sostanza and Jesus Christ and Camillo and Camillo and like yeah. the best restaurants in the world yeah. you know yeah, I mean that's the best part of pity is the yeah, food. food. Yeah, let's yeah. be honest. It's, it's eating great food with cool <laughs> right. people. Right. We all are just kind of trying to get through the day so that we can go to dinner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm getting getting through to lunch. Getting through to lunch. Very true. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> no, I'd have to agree with all of that. Uh, every year is different, but uh, this year especially seems like there's uh, when you meet someone, even if it's for the first time, uh, you can you can go on about. Uh, 
just the things that we share in common. Mm. There's always some kind of overlap, and people tend to latch onto that instead of the differences. You get a lot of that online, which is a shame. Yeah. But when you talk to people in person, there's always something that you can share, mm. something you can nerd out about. And, mm. and I think that's that, that's a beautiful thing. And, and I mean, I don't... There's, if you're not a good person and you're not... You know, the, the whole point, you know, is is manners and, and um, you know, how you present yourself as a person. For me, clothing is, is, is tied up with that. It's just like because... To me, how you how you want people to perceive you is about your behavior as much as it is about how you dress. So I think it's like uh, it stands to reason to me. But I'm gonna but if, if I'm gonna hope that someone's a you know a, a better person and a good person, that's far more important to me than what they're wearing. You know right? What I mean? Yeah. It's like <laughs> I've, I've always thought of this industry as, at least in my case it's not something that you make a lot of money out of right. if you wanted to get really rich doing something i probably wouldn't recommend the clothing industry but you do it because this is the goal rather than uh the means to the goal like my goal is to have a life where i get to hang out in florence and talk to people about clothes and and live a great life and i think a lot of the people in the industry that i'm close to see it that way they're not trying to do this as a hustle they're trying to do this as a quality of life uh, proposition and you're always going to get along with those people because they want the same thing as you they yeah eat good food and have good conversation and right. and enjoy the ride well thanks guys i really appreciate you my problem at all thanks coming by talking about vintage and talking about things that are making you happy that's one of the beautiful things about this place and doing a podcast at this time where everyone is excited. It's wrapping up. Unfortunately, we'll all have to go back to our regular lives. But <laughs> thanks for taking the time to come today. No worries. Pleasure nice having us. All right, take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Style Forum Happy Hour. If you enjoyed this, please subscribe. And remember to visit us at styleforum.net.